0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous
1: program, I was talking about Romans chapter 1, verse 4, where it says that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of Holiness. Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I was explaining that for him to be declared to be the Son of God was to also say that he was declared to be the Messianic King, that he was declared to be the King of Israel. And in addition to that, to be declared to be the Son of God means that he is also in fulfillment of other prophecies that say that he is also the Everlasting Father, the Mighty God, and the Prince of Peace. This was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. I was explaining this in the previous program. And so the living God manifested in the flesh, and he presented himself to be the Savior, to be the Messiah for the people of Israel. However, the people rejected him. Now, he resurrected from the dead after he died on the cross, but even then the people rejected him still. They wanted the kingdom, but they did not want the king. And so I was explaining some of these prophecies in the previous program in order to give some examples that the Lord Jesus was prophesied well in advance. What he would do, who he would be, was explained very well in the prophets and in the writings. Now, I was explaining at the end of the previous program that the Lord Jesus came for more than just to be the king of Israel. He wasn't just there in order to be their messianic king and to provide them with a kingdom. He was also there for the purpose of resolving the problem between man and God, and that problem was not that they needed to have God as their king. That was not the whole problem. I was explaining that the whole problem had to do with the fall of humanity back in the Garden of Eden, that through the fall of humanity, sin had entered into the world and spiritual death was the result of that sin, that because of the decision of Adam and Eve to violate the law of God, they sinned and they died, and that death was the absence of life The definition of death is the absence of life. But in this case, it was the absence of the life of God that had been breathed within them that was withdrawn. And so our God came to die for the sins of humanity. He accomplished that through the crucifixion. He did that so that he could provide, he could offer to us freely the life that had been lost in Adam. And this was described as the Holy Spirit, the spirit of life that has been offered to us as a free gift. Now, the resolution of the sin issue was prophesied well in advance in Isaiah chapter 53, for example. In Isaiah chapter 53, there is a very good description of the Messiah, the King, dying for the sins of the people. And I'm not going to bother trying to read the entire chapter, Isaiah chapter 53, but I would like to mention that and encourage you to take some time to study that chapter and see the Messiah there in that chapter. You know, the rabbis during the time of the Lord Jesus did believe that Isaiah 53 was referring to the Messiah. That was well known. It was very well described. It has been recorded in the writings of the rabbis. However, because they did not want to accept the Lord Jesus as their Messiah, they instead embraced many of the esoteric beliefs that people held to back then as an alternative so they could have some explanation as to why Jesus could not be their Messiah. But regardless of that, in Isaiah chapter 53, we have a very good description of God resolving the sin problem, the sin issue between himself and the entirety of humanity. And when Jesus died on the cross, he died not only for the sins of those who have been saved, but the sins of the world... Everyone, the entire world, the entire sin issue between man and God came to an end so that everyone would then be recognized as a bunch of forgiven dead people because the problem was much greater than just getting the sin resolved. There was a bigger issue at hand. The sin issue was an important one, a very important one, and had to be taken care of. It had to be resolved. But it was resolved so that he could offer to us the Holy Spirit as a free gift. And for those who will receive what he is offering, we will be resurrected by the indwelling presence of the life of God so that we can be made alive to him. And that is our salvation. Salvation is not just a matter of being forgiven of your sins. Forgiveness is what makes salvation possible. It is the restoration of the life of God that is salvation. And Paul explained this in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 5 verses 8, 9, and 10, he describes the importance of distinguishing between reconciliation by the death of his son, but salvation by his life. Not by his death, but by his life. And this was prophesied. This was prophesied well in advance in the scriptures. The Lord our God spoke of this a lot in Ezekiel. I enjoy reading his testimony in Ezekiel concerning the restoration of the Holy Spirit. In Ezekiel chapter 11, beginning in verse 17, it says, "...therefore say, Thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries among which you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel." When they come there, they will remove all its detestable things and all its abominations from it. And I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them. And I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them A heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them. Then they will be my people, and I shall be their God. It's a description of the restoration of the Holy Spirit. Another example in the book of Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 36, beginning in verse 24, it is written, For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from your idols. I believe that this is a description of the forgiveness of sins. Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 25. Continuing in verse 26, it says, Moreover, I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. It is a description of the restoration of the Holy Spirit, again in Ezekiel chapter 37. Verses 11 to 14, it says, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. Therefore prophesy, and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves, and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord, When I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves, my people, I will put my spirit within you and you will come to life and I will place you on your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. These are some very good examples of the living God speaking about the spirit that he would restore to humanity and Jesus Jesus spoke about this restoration of the Holy Spirit at the end of his ministry. When he was speaking to his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 16, he said, I will ask the father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. He spoke about the restoration of the Holy Spirit. John indeed baptized with water, but Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. It is the restoration of the Holy Spirit that is salvation. And the good news, the good news is that our God has provided propitiation for our sins, which means that the sin issue is completely over, so that, He can restore to us the spirit of life that had been lost in Adam. And this is a message that needs to go out throughout the world. This is the message of the gospel. This is the message that people proclaim. And those who hear it and believe it will be resurrected. They will be made alive. And if you have embraced the gospel, then you have a message to share with others. The Apostle Paul was recognized as an apostle. The living God called him to himself and then sent him out to tell people about this gospel. Not just about the gospel, though, but to also tell them about the implications of the gospel. The implications of the gospel have to do with being set free, set free to walk in a newness of life, to walk in the freedom of the love of our God, to rest in all that he has given to us. Paul described this often as an inheritance that we have now received as a result of his death. And that this inheritance is all that you need for life and godliness if you will only embrace what he has offered to you, what he has given to you in him. And if you will rest in, trust in him, and receive what he has for you, and live your life with what you now have, then he will fulfill the deepest needs within you in such a way that the world will no longer be able to tempt you as it once was able to. Because the temptations of the world, the temptations to sin, have to do with suggesting that the deepest needs of our heart will be met through our commission of these sins. But when you rest in what your God has for you, these temptations will dissipate and you will walk in a new way of life as a result of the indwelling presence of His Spirit within you that reveals to you what you truly have. And when this takes place, it will have the appearance that you are walking according to the commandments of God, that you are walking according to His ordinances. But this is only a side effect of the fulfillment that He gives you deep inside, and it's possible for Him to do that because He loves you perfectly. He loves you perfectly so you have been set free from the law so that you can rest in his love and his acceptance for you. Not because of what you have done, obviously, but because of what he has done on your behalf. The Apostle Paul was called by God, but the Lord has called out to everyone. This is what he has been calling out. He called out through the prophets. He called out personally when he came, but the people refused to hear him. The people chose To reject him, he called out to people saying, Look, this is what I've got to offer. If there is anyone who wants to receive what I have to offer and who I am, then you can receive me for who I am and for what I have to offer. But that's the criteria. Either you accept what I've got to offer, or you're going to have to reject me and everything that I've got to offer. But you make the choice. But regardless of what people chose... He declared to the whole world what He had to offer the world. It was then the individual's decision to respond to the call, to respond to the unique call, or not to. Now, the call that He made when He called out to the world, and He is continually calling out to the world, is that He is offering forgiveness. But who's going to receive forgiveness? Only those people who recognize that they have a need for forgiveness. Those are the people who will meet the criteria that has been established by our God and have the potential for being saved. So a person can only be saved if they acknowledge that they have a need for salvation. But if they don't acknowledge that they have a need for salvation, then they do not meet that criteria. And when the call goes out to them, it's not going to mean anything to them. Why would they respond to that? You want to forgive me? For what? You want to restore life to me? I didn't realize I was dead. I was assuming that because I have the scriptures, I can just study the scriptures, and that is what gives me life, or I can live in obedience to the commandments, and that is what gives me life. These are the kinds of things that God was competing with, and he still competes with to this day. He calls out to the entire world, come to me, but only those who want to have what he is offering are going to respond to that call. And the rest of people are simply not going to respond to that call. This is a very important thing to acknowledge. That our God has spoken to the people in this world and He has offered something to them. But not everybody wants it. Only those who do are those who can receive the good news. Who can receive the gospel. And once they have received the gospel. Once you have received the message. And once you enjoy The reality of the relationship that you can now have with your God, you are going to want to share this with others. You're not going to just want to keep this to yourself. When you realize what you have and when you live with what you have and when your God reveals himself to you in the light of what he has done and in the light of what he is doing and, of course, in the light of what he is going to do in the future, when you see him for who he is, you will not be able to do anything otherwise, you will not be able to contain yourself. You will want to share him with others. You will want to share this good news with others. And he has given you this message to share with others. He didn't just give you this message so that you can believe it and embrace it just for yourself. He gave it to you so that you could tell others about who he is. You could tell others about what he has done in your heart how he has changed your heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. Once he does this within an individual, the individual will be compelled to tell others about who he is. It is as if there is no alternative but to tell others about the true and living God. Now, when we go and we tell others about the true and living God, that just simply means that he sent us to tell others. And how do we know that he sent us? Because he gave us a message to share with others. That is the sending. It is inherent within the gospel message that you have received. It is inherent within the Holy Spirit who now dwells within you. It is part of the package and you're going to want to go out. He is effectively sending you out because of what he has given to you. Because of the good news he has given to you, it is good news that you are going to want to share with others, In that way you are also sent out by God to speak to those who he is calling to, who he has called to, who he will continue to call out to, because the presence and the existence and the perpetuation of the gospel in the world is a continual calling out to anyone who will humble themselves and acknowledge that they have a need for forgiveness, who will acknowledge that they do not know their God, and that the reason why they do not know their God, the reason why it is as if he is dead, is because they are dead. There's no problem with God. He's very much alive. You're the one. It is the people who are dead, not God. And once they acknowledge that they are dead, then... They can receive the free gift of life that he is offering to them. The Apostle Paul was called by God in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, a bond servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And I've given you a number of examples to show you that the gospel was promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. There are many more examples. I only picked a couple of them for the sake of time. There are many examples, but the Apostle Paul says that he is one who was set apart for the gospel because God called him. Well, God has called everyone and he continues to call out to everyone with the gospel. It is through the gospel that he is calling out to people. And this good news, this message that Paul heard, that Paul received... He went out and told others about it, and that is what made him a true apostle. Don't be confused by this word. Sometimes people look at this word and they say that the only apostles are those who walked and talked with the Lord Jesus and who were specifically called by Jesus personally, and that we have evidence to show that they had a personal, interactive encounter with the Lord Jesus. The disciples, of course, did when he was here conducting his ministry on earth. The Apostle Paul had his encounter on the road to Damascus, and that supposedly is the qualification for an apostle. And if you were to use that word in a religious context, then sure, I understand that definition, that's just fine. But this word means a whole lot more than just that. The word means that this is a person who is sent out. It is an individual who has been given a message, and they have been sent out to deliver the message. Well, you also have been given this message, and this message is not a message that you are to just keep for yourself. It is a message that you are to take out to others, out into the world, as you live your life, as you walk, as you work, as you engage in relationships with other people. It is a message that you bring with you, and it is a message that was given to you by your God, and so in that context, you also have been called and you also have been sent out. In Romans chapter one, verse five, it is written, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. In verse six, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Yes, you also are the called of Jesus He called out to the whole world. You responded to that call so that he could give you the good news, the gospel, so that you could respond and obey by believing the truth. You believe the truth. You receive the Holy Spirit. You are resurrected from the dead. And you now have a message to share with others so that you go forward in your life sharing this message with others, which will also make you, by using this definition of apostle, you also are an apostle. Using the definition of one being sent out by God and by default because of the inherent truth of the message. You also are an apostle of the living God who has a message to share with others. Go forward and share this message. As you live your life, you will have wonderful opportunities to do so. Your God is even participating in this world, working out situations and arranging circumstances in such a way that you will have an opportunity to speak directly with people on his behalf and share with him this gospel message, this good news that you have heard and that you have responded to, do so when these opportunities present themselves. Again, in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says that Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. I've explained in the previous program and also in this one that there are a number of passages In the scriptures, and I have quoted from the Psalms, from Isaiah, from Ezekiel, but there are, of course, many other examples, and for the sake of time, I just chose those. Continuing in verse 5, Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Now, what does it mean to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. Well, what we need to understand is that this is not just among all the Gentiles, this is also among everyone, Jew or Gentile. It's not just about the Gentiles, it's about everybody. But what does it mean to say obedience? Well, there are a number of ways to look at this, but I personally believe that this has nothing to do with obedience to the law. If it was obedience to the law, then he could just say obedience of the law. Obedience of the law is simple. You have the law, you obey the law, and then you're right with God. But, of course, we have lots of examples to show that there is no way that anyone is going to be able to obey the law, regardless of what kind of news we bring to them, how good it may be, regardless even of salvation, regardless of being resurrected. It still does not mean that a person is going to be able to live perfectly in complete total obedience to all of the commandments of God. If you don't believe me, then you need to read the law, and you need to really do all that the law says. And when you feel that you've got it all together, then call me, and I'll explain to you what the Lord Jesus had to say concerning this. Or if you don't want to call me, that's fine. Just look in the Sermon on the Mount, where he said, be as perfect as God, or you will in no way enter the kingdom of heaven. And if you feel confident that you are so obedient, that you've gotten all the sin out of your life, that you can go Before the living God and say, hey, Lord, aren't you glad I'm here? Because I'm just like you. If you have that kind of confidence, then first of all, you have been consumed by your own religious pride. And second of all, I believe you're going to have a rude awakening when he explains this to you, because this is a very serious matter. This cannot mean obedience of the law. It cannot mean that. There's no way for that to be. No, this is obedience of faith. And what is this faith? This is a response to the truth that your God has revealed. There's a long and glorious history of this, going all the way back to Abraham, that our God spoke to Abraham. Abraham believed God, and that was what established his righteousness. The fall of humanity was the result of Adam and Eve not believing God. They believed the devil instead. And so with the gospel, what we have now is the restoration of the Holy Spirit so that he can reveal to us the truth of our life and of our God and of our circumstances as we live them. And we respond to that truth by believing what our God reveals to us, and that is our obedience to faith. And that will be the victory that our God will achieve when we believe him, whereas Adam and Eve did not believe him, and that's what caused the fall, now We are to believe and trust him as he has shown the truth and he has demonstrated that he is trustworthy. But I am out of time in this program, so I will explain this further in the next broadcast.